Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Robcast. I have been looking forward to this one for so long because Carenza Peacock is in the back house. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited to be in the back house. <laughs> Carenza Peacock is a friend, is a glorious, luminous human being, is uh, born in England. Yes. Raised in Ipswich, mm-hmm. a violin player by trade. Yeah. When you're at a party and people say, what do you do for a living? Do you say, I play the violin? Yes. And everyone gets very excited. They do. <laughs> this is a regular occurrence. Yes. In fact, sometimes I pretend I do something else. <laughs> Just because you know they're going to go crazy. <laughs> yes. Well, it's such an unusual thing, I feel. Absolutely. Yeah. People have a lot of questions. Oh, they do. I have a lot of questions. (laughs) Oh, good. And uh, for those of you who are big Adele fans, you have played on the Adele records and you are Uh her violin player and you lead her orchestra. Yeah, I did her world tour in 2016. 87 cities. Yeah, I did 87 shows. Yeah. (laughs) In the course of one year. Yes. With Adele. Yes. Oh, my word. That was fun. So um, we're sitting here. In the back house, it's a beautiful s- summer evening. The doors are open. The dog is moving in and out. <laughs> and uh, Carenza has her violin with her. Mm-hmm. So you're going to play little bits of music, and we're going to talk about them. Yeah, and if you'd like me to. We're going to go all over the place. This is so fantastic. Now, um, this is the last Robcast from the back house for a while because uh, we're leaving this weekend for a month of traveling. Uh, me and Kristen Bell and various combinations of our kids. We're going to Norway. I'll be speaking at Trondheim Festival. Olav Fest, I believe is what it's called. <laughs> and I then... played in the Trondheim Festival. Did you really? Yeah, years ago <laughs> with my string quartet. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I'll be doing two nights at Jazz House Montmartre in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, Second night filled up, so uh, first night filled up, so the night before that Friday, August second, um, tickets have just gone out for a second show in Denmark, and then I'll be doing the introduction to Joy UK leg. Um, I'll start in Bristol, then London, and you'll be there actually in London. I'll be there, yeah. And then um, the. We added a second night in London, so all of you on the west side, Shepherd's Bush, we added a second show at Shepherd's, at Bush, Bush Hall, Hall Theater, like an intimate venue, and I just absolutely love being in England, in UK anyway, but, um, so, tickets just went up for the second show that's been added in London, then Manchester, and then I'm doing three nights at Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, Scotland. And then uh, tickets just went up for the final leg, the fall leg of the Introduction to Joy tour. So uh, I'll be doing that tour through December. Chicago, Illinois. Champaign, Illinois. Indianapolis, Indiana. uh, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Nashville, Atlanta, Santa Cruz, Sacramento. And then the tour will end in December of course, in Los Angeles at the Lodge Room. So uh, I'll be doing an introduction to Joy the rest of the year, and it's always more fun when you're there. And all that stuff, tickets are at robbell.com, as well as the communicators' workshops. Um, there's still some, a couple tickets for August and a couple tickets for October, and, you know, 
we'll do those as well. Um, so like a little summer break in Robcast, but to wrap it up here with you, this is just how great is this? <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay, so um, what, what are you going to play first? Um, I thought I'd play, uh, it's a piece by Massonet. I'm going to play part of it. And it's one of the most famous violin pieces. It's the one I get requested to play the most often. How do you say that name? Massonet. M-A-S-S-E-N-E-T. And this piece actually comes from an opera. And nobody knows the rest of the opera. No one ever really hears it. It's just they know this one piece from the middle of it. Okay. Yeah. say um thank you my word i just picture somebody driving their minivan somewhere right now in south carolina and they just pulled (laughs) over by the side of the road trying to recover from that um not to ruin the moment i Mm. i tend to think of the violin not as a dominant powerful it almost more of like a higher Mm. uh, i'm trying to think of what the delicate but but being up close to you when you play, it's like a full-bodied... Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like louder than a band at right, some level. Yeah. At, at some sort of heart level, almost. Yes. I feel, yes, it's kind of all-encompassing. And I know you talk a lot about like the bass and the treble, but I feel like the violin is supposed to be a treble instrument because it's high, but actually, like you say, it can cut to the very core of our emotions because <laughs> it has such a range of colours. Because there's a low, there, there was a low section towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, that note was like my, like my heart was like rumbling. Wow. Like a dance floor, like a subwoofer almost. Right. 
<laughs> like when you stand too close to the speakers in the nightclub. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, I have a great story about that piece I just played. I actually played it inside the Great Pyramids in Egypt, um, when I, which was the most amazing musical experience of my life. I went with a group of friends and we weren't supposed to take anything inside the, the chamber, the king's chamber inside the pyramids. But somehow we managed to smuggle in my violin because we all just knew I was supposed to play it in there. And so I played that piece <laughs> in the middle of the king's chamber in the pitch black. It's like darker when they turn the lights out. It's darker than anything I've ever experienced. And I had the strangest sensation because obviously the whole world we now know is just made of vibrations. And there was I creating vibrations in what was possibly built as an acoustic chamber. They, they, there's, there's theories that it was built as an acoustic thing. And as I was playing, I actually couldn't see my violin because it was, was pitch black. And I just felt, I really sensed that the violin was just a ball of vibrations under my fingers because I had no physical evidence that it existed because I looked yeah. down and I couldn't see it. Yeah. And I was very aware that the whole world really is made of vibrations and somehow I was just manipulating them on my violin. And it was such a moving experience. We had about 40 or 50 people in there. And, uh, and the harmonies, the harmonics were bouncing off the walls. It was crazy. Okay, smuggling a violin into the pyramids, that sort of has its own poetry. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> what was it about the acoustics or the architecture Right. Besides being pitch black, what was it that made it such an unusual oral, A-U-R-A, space? Well, it was strange because I thought lots of my friends were humming along, singing harmonies. But it turns out everyone thought somebody else was humming and nobody was. And the echoes that were coming back off the walls weren't just... Were tonal. Yeah, it was like the full harmonic. So it wasn't just the note I'd just played echoing. I could hear the third and the fifth and even the seventh of the scale bouncing back at me it was very strange so you're playing a single note uh -huh. but the slapback is producing a chord totally yeah so it really made me think of everything like pythagoras used to talk about and like the music of the spheres and yes it was all just kind of coming back at me so it all became all these theories i'd read about became very real in that one moment are you familiar with this whole idea uh, in mysticism of trinity as a chord and tonal. Oh, yeah. God is tonal. Right. That it, it sounds all played together. Right. And so they're each fine on their own. They're fantastic on their own. You play them together and you get something. And then the music of the spears and then humanity being another sort of chordal dimension to the whole experience we're having. Right. Well, I really feel like music created the universe. You know, in the beginning was the word, which was sound, which was, I think music <laughs> and like because qu quantum scientists are telling us that everything is made from vibrations and all yes. this crazy stuff so really music is such a magical art form because we can manipulate those vibrations and we've been shown so many times that um like certain frequencies can cause cause physical objects to change and you know make certain patterns and all sorts of you know and they're using certain frequencies to to they've, I saw a TED talk on YouTube the other day where they're blasting cancer cells with certain frequencies. And so it's like notes that can change us at a physical level. <laughs> because in some senses, the more sophisticated we think we are, the more mm -hmm. advanced we think we are, we're listening to music as much or more than ever. Right. Which is, which when you ask people about their favorite music, it's 
that's net. You've just left any rational conversation. <laughs> We're now talking about heart pre-verbal. Right. I don't know why I like that and not that. I just know that stirs me. Mm-hmm. And, we're, and we're perfectly fine using this sort of language. Yeah. In other spheres, we're like, well, give me the evidence. Give me the proof. Give me the data. But music, it's we're true. like, I don't know. It moves me. Oh, okay. That's, you know what I mean? That's good enough. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and it really is true that music transcends all languages. And it kind of bypasses our minds, like you say. It's just what speaks to our hearts. And often we can't explain what it is. Like, you can't really explain how the sound of my violin just affected you. And if we try to use words to explain it, it just never lives up. (laughs) Oh, my word. Okay, so, uh, something else? What do you got? What do you want to go next? What should I play? Uh, I could play a piece by Schubert, Franz Schubert. So it's his Ave Maria, which is a very famous song he wrote. And Schubert... It was very tragic because he is like one of the world's most famous composers, but he died with about the equivalent of $5 to his name and no one really knew about his music except he had a wonderful group of friends that used to um, have evenings um, in their houses where they'd celebrate his music and he'd perform everything. But apart from that circle of friends, hardly anyone knew his things until after he died and of course now we've all heard And then they discovered the charts? Well, it just kind of became more wide, more well-known. As often happens, it's often after composers are dead that we discover how wonderful their music was. Why is that? um, Well, I don't know. It's very strange. It seems to take a while to to filter through. So, yeah. And I, I know a lot of composers alive today who are very kind of, they feel a bit, sad about the fact that they know their music probably won't be appreciated till decades after they've gone. So they're really writing to leave a legacy for people. It's like long time. Mm. Like be suspicious if it's too popular right now. Right. That they're true groundbreaking and majestic work. Right. It's like takes a while for everybody to catch up to it. Yeah. Was it Rites of Spring that at its debut had riots? Yeah. Yeah. People stripped naked at that debut in protest of the how I shocking and how yeah yeah the total riots and uh yeah it's amazing like because music can be a revolutionary it can cause revolutions and it caused a stampede in that theater in paris when it was played right right violins and cellos and people just completely yeah. driven to madness by these sounds totally okay so this is ave maria yeah <laughs>
when we've talked before, you've talked about how full-bodied playing the violin is. Mm-hmm. Because I notice even when you're playing now, it's like it's your your whole body looks engaged. Right. Yes, my violin professor at music college used to remind me the whole time that you don't just play the violin with your fingers and your arms, but for a start you have to breathe as though you're playing a wind instrument because we tend to forget that when we're playing a violin or a cello or something because we don't have to think about the breath. So he'd always tell us to really like breathe into every note and also to feel as though we're like a tree with roots going deep into the ground because we're playing a tree. The violin's made from a tree <laughs> and we have to feel <laughs> That's grounded. And so profound. (laughs) You're playing a tree. Yeah, we're just making trees sing is my job. (laughs) uh, Yeah, and just to feel really grounded and rooted. And I know I move a lot when I play, and I often have little children come up to me and say, why do you dance when you play the violin? (laughs) Because I'm moving quite a lot, uh, which is quite a nice thing. Mm -hmm. When, uh, I remember one time you told me, that you're playing this instrument and you can people a hundred feet away in the back row in a multi-thousand seat venue are weeping. Right. And and you're playing this instrument, but you're connected and aware and observing, witnessing to that. Yes. While you're playing. It's quite a responsibility because I feel, um, I feel it, the violin can affect people. It, in the in history, in the past, it used to be called the devil's instrument. That people were frightened of the violin because it affected you so much, affects your emotions. And I feel it's such a responsibility because I can make people cry. <laughs> and uh, and I feel every musician has a responsibility like this. And I think the best moments I've felt um, in concerts, or the best moments of connection in my life, are when you feel that connection with the audience, and you know you're speaking directly from your heart to theirs. And if you can manage to not let anything get in the way, like you're not worrying about any egoic things, like, oh, am I going to play a wrong note, or mm-hmm. what do I look like, or, <laughs> yeah. or worrying about the critics writing things on the front row, and the it's yeah, it's kind of a magical. It feels like I'm wielding a magic weapon most of the time. It's like you threw a tree (laughs) to other human beings. Mm -hmm. It's very, very mysterious how that all works. It is very mysterious. Can you tell me about a time when you were playing and it had that sort of overwhelming effect that stands out to you as like I didn't expect it to happen like that or I didn't think that would sort of the boundaries dissolve and we would all sort of meld together yes I actually had so I wrote a piece uh for orchestra for solo violin and orchestra that was played in London and I actually wrote it so it's a very powerful piece I wrote it about my because my mother passed away and I wrote it about how when we'd scattered her ashes Um, a rainbow had appeared over the cliffs where we were scattering her ashes. So I'd written this piece and then we played it. And for some reason, the audience, it's a very simple piece. (laughs) And I really felt like I managed to get beyond myself when I was playing it Mm -hmm. and, uh, and connected with the audience. And somehow there was such a heart reaction that to this day, I still get emails from people who were in the audience um, saying how much it affected them. And it wasn't a huge audience. It was like eight or 900 people or something. And Did you say it's not a huge ago. audience? It was only eight or 900 well, people? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, it okay. wasn't like What's... Wembley Arena. 
It wasn't like Wembley <laughs> Arena. Okay, now when you say it's a simp- it was a simple piece. Uh-huh. Simple to you or simple to us? Huh. What do, when you're talking about a piece you wrote on violin, what does simple mean? Well, I suppose technically because I'd written it for like a lot of people, it could be considered as complex. But I feel like the best music is the most simple. And, you know, you look at kind of Beethoven and it's the way he uses a really simple idea, often just based on two chords. <laughs> and it's the way he develops it that um, becomes like complex and the genius but really i feel like the best music is the the simplest absolutely yeah you hear this great song and i'll sit down with the guitar to learn it and be like yeah e a b really exactly and it just repeats how did i not yeah 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 and i feel sometimes people get carried away i know people get put off by a lot of contemporary classical music because it sounds dissonant their ears and it's and often I find contemporary composers are writing music from their heads and not their hearts and it's kind of intellectually very challenging and difficult Mm -hmm. and unnecessarily complex Mm -hmm. (laughs) whereas if you go to all the great composers you can really break it down into very simple motifs they're using which is why it speaks to us I feel (sighs) yeah can can, um can you play us something you wrote uh (laughs) I could a improvise snippet, something a for a minute. Oh, yes. Okay. Now, that always used to terrify me because being classically trained, I only ever learnt how to uh, kind of play music that I'd learnt from a page that play somebody else had written. So it's a really recent thing to me to learn how to not be terrified improvising. I'm going to make something up. tell you how that is it feels wrong to talk after it oh <laughs> <laughs> it feels, thank you um i have all sorts of questions to ask you about that but i also don't want to ruin it by asking you all sorts of questions about that you how much did you have in your head of where you would go or are you note by note following it where it leads i was note by note just feeling where the next note should go 
So you have 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, however many years of playing the violin and all the hours of practice and rehearsal and performing, etc. But then in that moment, your heart mm. almost feels like it has a hand, its hands on the wheel and all those muscles you've built are sort of following along. Right. It's like they have to learn... Yeah, it's like my heart's leading the way and everything else has to learn how to follow, which is how it should be. But That's I how feel... I feel in my work. Oh, this is it's great. exactly how I feel in my work. It doesn't matter what I know. Yeah. I mean, I, whatever I know. Yeah. That's only at any level remotely compelling or interesting if there's some heartbeat that is listening and following something mm -hmm. much bigger than me. Right. I feel that's how it should be. All our intellectual, all our intelligence and all our skills should always be at the service of our hearts. But it's sometimes hard to make it that way. I also feel uh, when playing, well, when playing any music, but especially when improvising, it's a real lesson in staying in the moment. Like I literally can just only think about each note as I'm playing it. And often in performances, when I'm worried about having a memory lapse, for example, if I'm playing a big uh, Beethoven concerto or something, I, uh, it's always when I'm thinking my head's too much in the future and that's when I go wrong, when I'm worried about going wrong or worried about playing a wrong note. But if I'm really focusing on just each note as I play it, it's a real lesson in living perfectly in the, in the power of now, <laughs> in the, in the minute. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <sighs> that, oh, I didn't. The violin up close is just, I, I feel like I want to use words like thunderous <laughs> or overwhelming. It's definitely overwhelming. I mean, we have, two, we have doors open in this room and the back house had vaulted ceilings and there's a fan on and I can mm -hmm. hear a police helicopter and the neighbor's dog is barking and <laughs> it's still the space feels tight. Right. When you start playing. Well, I think it's the power of live music as well. I think nowadays we're all stuck listening yes. to kind of Spotify and uh, digital music and can't be bothered yeah. to leave our houses to go <laughs> watch a live concert. But I think we forget it can alter us on a physical level. Oh, as absolutely. Well as everything else. And also, I feel, I mean, lots of people talk about how classical music is supposedly dying, but I feel... No way. It's more like, yeah... And no I, way. No, I just don't think it is. I don't believe right. it. Right. <laughs> and I, I actually have this analogy with food, which I'd love to share with you. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite subject is food. But um, it's that because like we all listen to all sorts of different types of music, pop music, rock music, everything. And I do too. And I feel like lots of people think because I train classically that I'm therefore I only approve of classical music which is absolutely not true. However, I do think all of us need more classical music in our life. And it's a bit like nowadays we all know how to eat healthily. We all take care to try and buy organic food and, to, mm. you know, we know not to eat too much candy, for example, and not, yeah. not too much dessert. And I feel like classical music is the main course. And if we listen to too much dessert, like too many three-minute pop songs and things... They're great and they can make you feel great in three minutes. But I think if we haven't had our dose of listening to a full length Beethoven symphony, which can really cleanse us emotionally and ground us, then sometimes we can make ourselves ill from listening to the rest of the stuff too much. So I feel like 
I wish everyone would just take time once a week to lie on the floor and listen to a full Beethoven symphony with no phones, no distractions. You took that analogy all the way, and I love it. <laughs> I love it. Oh. But it really is taking care of our health, I think, because we, yeah. we forget that what goes in our ears can affect us just as much as what we smell or taste or touch, I feel. Yeah, I don't, I don't listen to commercials. At my, the commercials aren't a part of my life, but I'll notice if I get in an Uber and the right. radio's turned up loud and there are commercials how um, violent, actually violent is the word mm -hmm. that comes to mind. Yeah. How assaultive yeah. it feels when you're not, it's almost like you see it then for what it is because you've been sort of cleansed it from your system. Totally. Just, um, and that's not even the music. And then the music comes on sometimes <laughs> and it's just as like, oh, no wonder people are on the edge, you know, nerves are right. on the edge and anxieties right are so high these sounds are a form of architecture and the spaces that we're in are profoundly spiritual shaping us and working on us totally i've started a bit of a campaign of whenever i get into a uber or some, or even into a shop where they're playing music that i just think is not healthy for that minute i get them to change it to something more soothing and uh do you really and it, yeah do and you I say i'm like, forenza peacock this no. is what's gonna about to, this is what's gonna happen but every time when we get to the destination the driver says thank you so much i feel so much better having spent the last 20 minutes listening to that music and i feel like when i'm in my house if i play and don't get me wrong i mean i was i was dancing to madonna all day today yes but like weren't we if, all yes <laughs> If we, uh, if we play classical music in our houses, I feel it actually energetically cleanses the space. There's yes. something about it. Yes. And they've done all these experiments about how Mozart changes our brain waves, mm -hmm. and it's like, yeah. My favorite, when I go into a bookstore oh. and they're playing classical music. Perfect. You just, you got me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be there for hours. <laughs> I'm going to spend a bunch of money <laughs> and the music had something to do with it, peoples. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, you started playing violin how old? I was three. You were three. Crazy. Yes. There's a violin laying around. Somebody gives it to you uh, for a <laughs> birthday present. My mum was friends with a violin teacher who kept wanting to teach me. And I found out recently that apparently my parents kept saying, no, no, she's too young. Until one day she turned up at the door and absolutely insisted on teaching me. If she kept asking, then you're two and your parents said she's too young? <laughs> uh, yeah, and so when I was three, she turned up with a teeny tiny violin and uh Why did this teacher me. single you out? I have no idea. I have no idea. You, may, you play a tree. I play a tree. And at three, somebody singled you out for this. Yeah, I was very lucky as well because I'm such a rebel that if anyone had ever asked me to practice or told me to play the violin, I never would have done it. So my parents never once asked me to practice in my whole life. And I think that's, that's kind of the secret to my success. And also, my, I had a great teacher who just made it really fun. So she used to get me to give concerts to my dollies when I was little and things like this. So I never saw it as like a task. I just thought it was a toy. So at three, four, five, you're playing. Yeah. Is there an A? That's unusual. Uh-huh. Uh, I assume that your first memories then would have an element of 
acknowledgement from others, this is not normal. Um, yes, I think, yeah, friends at school thought it was a weird thing I did. <laughs> but right away, was this something like in your, at what point in your town is it like, hey, there's this girl, she's really young, and she's, there's something happening with her in the violin? Uh, well, I think when I became a teenager, I started winning a few kind of competitions and joined the National Youth Orchestra of Great Britain and things like this. So I think people started noticing. And then when I left school, I literally couldn't imagine doing anything other than playing the violin. <laughs> so if I would have uh, met you when you were 15 or 16, mm -hmm. and where do you see your life going? You would, oh, playing the violin. Yeah. And I hadn't figured out how on earth that was going to feed me. <laughs> were you in a world where you saw artists making things and being able to pay their bills did you have um, models around you of that no not at all <laughs> and really? I, <laughs> I my grandmother was a musician and um I mean she used to I she used to take me to concerts and things when I was little so she was a big influence uh but I yeah and I feel like I in fact I had a lot of warnings from people around me like you will never ever ever be able to earn a living doing this and it's the hardest career ever and you need to go to university and learn something proper and have, get have a proper job. Have we had a job. proper discussion with them since they said those things? <laughs> Are there any of them that we should talk about by name right now? <laughs> I'm tempted, but I shall not. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Isn't that, by the way, the people that you and I know that we, we love who are thriving and doing interesting things in the world, how many of us have stories of people who are like, that's not, no, that's not going to work. Totally. You can't really do that. And yeah. It's yeah, almost like it's you need crazy. those. If you don't have those, that's a warning. Right. <laughs> if <laughs> yeah, somebody's totally. not going, that's not going to work. You might not actually uh -huh. be on the right path. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Let's just do it again. You're going to play a song. <laughs> I'm going to get floored by it. <laughs> I see how this is going to go. <laughs> um, I thought maybe I should play some bark. Absolutely. Uh, so he's kind of seen of one of the seen as one of the fathers of all classical music I guess and I love playing Bach there's something so magical about his music that I feel that when I'm playing the notes it's almost like he's weaving an invisible cathedral like you know we've seen all these experiments of them playing frequencies and you'll have like a tray of salt and when they play certain frequencies it goes into beautiful geometric shapes yes and this kind of thing and I feel the great composers just knew this. They knew it. And I feel like somehow in the air, these geometric shapes are being created around us. And somehow the music of Bach feels like it's creating a cathedral around me in the audience. And we're in this kind of like a place of worship or kind of in a different space. Yes. Does that make sense? I also loved that Bach um, said... I think this is him. I'm never sure with quotes. I never believe that they're attributed to the right person. But he said that uh, when he dies, he's going to where music is born, which I thought was, like, great. This is some Bach.
that that one at the end, the texture of the bow on the strings, uh-huh. like the f- friction. It, yeah, it almost sounds like breath at the end. I love, I love when right, I right like a throat. Yeah, like a scratchy. It's like the note ends and all you're left with is the breath. A bit like us as humans, all we'll be left with is the breath. And you, you know that you're, that's in, you're doing that. You're slowing the bow down. Mm. Like that one, especially at the end. Yeah. Y- you know what you're doing there. It's like trying to make time stand still. <laughs> yes. Yeah, almost like, and the friction of yeah. the... The horse hair. The, the, I don't even know what you call the texture of the horse hair. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, it is all nature. I'm playing with a horse's tail on what these used to be made. The strings, violin strings used to be made from cat's guts. <laughs> and on a, a horse's tree. tail, cat's gut strung on a piece of tree. Yeah. And we weep. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I um, one of the th- the mantras that most guides me in my life is blessed is the one who's in on the joke. Hmm. Like even my work, when I talk about all these big, important, universe-wide things, mm-hmm. that's why I laugh so much. If you aren't laughing, <laughs> you aren't going to be able to get in there. Right. You aren't going to have any, you actually aren't getting it. You're yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I noticed that, that you're, at peace with the absurdity of it all (laughs) so that you can go and i've actually noticed over the years for myself the more i'm laughing the more i'm able the more i find myself in the spaces i actually want to go the profound the sacred the holy the numinous the luminous the wordless Mm -hmm. the cathedral the the place Mm -hmm. beyond form um that I'm just a guy. I was born in Lansing, Michigan. I'm just spouting. And yet, it's like when I see it <laughs> for the bizarre absurdity as it is, I'm actually starting to get it at some level. Right. Mm-hmm. So you, you making the, to get to those sounds, if you're like, well, I'm an accomplished musician and I'm here to <laughs> move your, we all just be like, get out. But you're like, no, I'm playing a tree. There's a horse's tail involved. Right. Somehow is the first step or the last step or something. Do you know what Some, I mean? Yeah, totally. And I feel a lot of music gets, uh, kind of, or musicians get lost because they're taking themselves too seriously. I just remember at music college, so I spent four years at music college in London, and I remember thinking, gosh, somehow we've lost the point of this. Like, everyone spent hours telling us technically, like, you need to move your finger this way and move the bow this way and you need to play it faster and you need to do this. And I kept asking again and again and again. I was like, yeah, but like, what's music for? Like this, do you realize how ridiculous you sound talking about how fast we should move our fingers? Like, what's it for? Like, where did it come from? Like, these were the questions I wanted to ask and oh. no one was answering them. Oh, me too. <laughs> me too. I feel like my, you know, I feel like in some ways all my work could be summarized with what is this? Right. What is this? What are we doing here? Yeah. What do we call this? Uh-huh. Is anybody else? I know you're arguing about that, and you're discussing that, and you're fired up about that. But the, but the whole thing, right. floating ball of rock, float hurtling through space at sixty-seven thousand miles an hour. It's crazy. Is anybody else noticing this? <laughs> 
And sometimes we could just get caught up in the... Sometimes I'm in a recording session and there'll be some really big named, I don't know, rap artist or something. And we'll be laying down all these tracks and everyone's getting so technical about what should go where and what... And I feel like everybody's lost sight of the thing. And when you like kind of rise above a bit and look down at what we're doing, like <laughs> someone's rapping the really terrible lyrics, but they're going to make millions of dollars. And we're arguing about whether I should play like a C sharp a bit louder or something. And it's just... <laughs> but everyone's lost the point of like, what are you doing this for? And um, oh, yeah, that is fantastic. OK, question. Yes. Your... Uh... You're on stage with Adele. Uh-huh. She's singing some song we've all heard uh-huh. and love, because we all love Adele. We do. You're on stage playing violin, leading her orchestra, drums, bass, singers, guitar, like, mm-hmm. uh, you're at Wembley. I, I mean, you're at massive arenas, yeah. stadiums, etc. What would What would most surprise us about the experience from your perspective? What is that like? Oh. <laughs> or if we were to be in your shoes in that experience, what, what would we both be? Oh, this isn't what I thought it would be like. <laughs> well, um, two things spring to mind. I mean, like the, the kind of technical thing is you'd probably be surprised that we can't really hear on stage what you're hearing. Like it's crazy loud, <laughs> but also we can't necessarily hear all the details. Like so musicians, when you watch them in a big concert like that, sometimes ask for like right i only want to hear guitar and voice in my because you have in your monitors yeah so you have a mix that is the mix you need to hear yeah to be locked in with everybody yeah which is very different than a good mix right exactly exactly and so often and also sometimes you'll have a click track in your ear so you can all keep time so sometimes it can feel very mechanical like the bigger the concert the the crazier it is but I actually played with Adele when she first started out. We were doing these kind of smaller, intimate venues and it felt almost like chamber music in a way. So I kind of got both ends of the spectrum. Yes. But the other strange thing is, because with that tour, I think that was like the biggest audiences, I guess, that I'd played to. And you're playing in these massive, you know, like Staples Centre and things. And it's something really bizarre happens when you're standing on stage. Because of course, no one's actually looking at you. They're looking at Adele, as they should be. But it's something strange, like you're, you kind of zone out as though you're not really playing to anyone. It's as though there's just this like screen of people. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's so big. Yeah. You kind of cut your brain can't process it. Because you're not like, oh, look at that person. Look at that exactly. person. Look at that person. You would do that for 20,000. Yeah. And I much prefer playing in someone's living room because it's like you can connect. You can't connect. I feel like you can't connect with that many hearts all at once. I much prefer playing a living room concert where you can like chat to everyone and talk to them and yeah. Although, you know, Adele did a lot of chatting to the audience. <laughs> oh, interesting because like right now the noise that that your tree is making <laughs> is like just it's like just washing over me. Right. But when you're in the arena, mm-hmm. the tree has to then run through a cable and a cord. Yeah, so it becomes less an natural. And then a massive set of subwoofers and high speakers for the highs. Yeah. And then that bounces out into a cavernous room right. to somebody <laughs> 25 yards away. But really, because it's kind of then all going through electrical signals and digitally, it's almost like you're listening to like, 
digital music on your mm -hmm. headphones. It's only when you're live with acoustic instruments, like, you know, come the apocalypse, all you're going to be able to hear is like, <laughs> the only music making we'll do is like you sitting in a room with a violin and an acoustic <laughs> guitar and a drum. <laughs> come the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> this will be what you're hearing there won't be any stadium gigs then <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow yeah. this is just this this is everything i thought it would be you coming <laughs> over when we first talked about this i was like i'm gonna enjoy this so much will oh, you uh play another one to wrap it up at sure shall i finish with some beethoven absolutely <laughs> So um, this is actually uh, the last thing that Beethoven wrote. And of course, the fascinating thing about Beethoven is he went totally deaf and yet could still play. All this music was still singing around inside him. And uh, this is a cavatina. It's from one. It's the tune from one of his string quartets. And he said it affected him so much that his tears were falling on the page as he wrote it. And um, yeah, this is it. Beethoven. Beethoven. Um, for somebody who is thoroughly, uh, I don't even know what the word is, compelled by you talking about comp classical music, <laughs> where would you start? Three pieces. Ooh, okay. Uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Beethoven's Ninth, yes. Classic. I mean, intense, but go straight in there. <laughs> go straight, go straight. <laughs> Go there. Beethoven's Ninth, okay. Beethoven's Ninth, which is all about, like, brotherhood and humanity. And um, uh, what else? I'd say, oh, goodness, some Bach. Okay. Beethoven, Bach. Beethoven, Bach, Mozart. Mozart. That's all you need. The big three. The big three, yeah. Start there. Start there. Oh. <laughs> this. Yeah. And then you, uh, can we talk about what you, where you're recording next? Uh, yeah, I'm doing a few things. I'm doing playing at Capitol Records at the end of this week for a great composer called Pauline Frachette. Pauline Frachette. Uh-huh. And then, and then I'm recording with a band called The Script. Yes. Some of you might know. The Script, absolutely. <laughs> You're playing on the new album? Yes. And record, and currently recording our friend Josh Radner's solo And then Josh album. Radner's solo album. Mm -hmm. And then what studio in London? Uh, oh, I'm going to be recording my own music that I've written 
uh, hopefully in Abbey Road. So that'll be exciting. Oh, my yeah. word. Where can people yeah. find your pieces? Uh, so, well, I'm hoping to release an album of my, because I've spent my whole life recording other people's mm -hmm. music. So hopefully soon I'll have an album of my own. But, um, like, yeah, if they follow me on Instagram or something, I often share Which is Carenza Peacock. Mm -hmm. Because there's only one Carenza Peacock. There's only one there can't be other Carenza Peacocks in the world. Is that safe to say? Uh, yeah, I don't think there can possibly be any others. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Carenza with a K. Oh, <laughs> this so inspiring. Thank we'll you. Um, have to do this again down the road. Yeah. With other I'd pieces. Love to. Yeah. Uh, amazing. <laughs> Anything else people should know about how to find you or all that? Um, I, I'm on Spotify. If you look me up, my name's difficult to spell. Shall I spell my name? K e r e n z a. Yeah. Standard or spelling of peacock. Z a, as we like to say in England. Z a. <laughs> 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 yeah and yeah they can find me i put up certain adventures on instagram and yeah i have uh, a website i and love it i'm so glad we're friends i'm so glad you came over thank you so much for inviting me i just love talking about this stuff uh, it's just just wonderful all right my robcrest friends i really 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 love introducing you to my friends but this one come on this was all time you know what i mean so raise your glasses so good. Grace and peace be with you.